retailer saying people are rethinking where their story is going and how they can take it in a better direction. Yes, nearly everyone will eventually return to work, but workers themselves have begun redefining the job and rebalancing it with life. News and talk in the morning. Music after two and all weekend long. With shows like the Big City Radio Show, Mondays at 8 p.m. This is the Big City Radio Show. My name is Sean, playing records from the era of the new music. Listen live or archived at xray.fm. On the air in Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM. X-Ray FM, radio is yours. X-Ray FM is supported by Slingshot Lounge. Located in southeast Portland on the corner of 56th and Foster, Slingshot Lounge offers an expansive game room, scratch cocktails, and a craft kitchen with a full menu until 2 a.m. Happy hour available weekdays from 3 to 7, and brunch weekends from noon to 4. Slingshot Lounge, decentralizing Portland since 2007. And a very good morning to you, Portland. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM. And in Halem, Wheeler, Manzanita, and Rockaway Beach at 91.7 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. We'll be right back to the time in a sec, but first let's listen to some music from Cassie Valazza. Stuffed in my pocket A smile spread across my face I pretend it doesn't matter When I read that you won't stay
between us I let my pride take its place But I still got you know freedom When you're gone and on your way second hour of our program and uh, on the line with us our old buddy Alex Lawson the executive director of social security works socialsecurityworks.org strengthensocialsecurity.org uh, a law 202 or ss works on twitter or x or whatever you want to call it and Alex welcome back am i missing any of your urls i know you've got a couple of other ones out there no, that's all good. Socialsecurityworks.org is the main one, Tom. Okay, great. So uh, the the Republican Party says that uh, they they well, Jake Johnson published this piece over on Common Dreams. Hell no, Trump allies plans to privatize Medicare draws alarm and outrage. Tell us about this. So uh, Andrew Perez at Rolling Stone um, sort of broke this first, and what the this is is is. Uh, it's been known to us, but it's really wonderful when it sort of gets out there, as you know, Tom, and, and people uh, pay attention to this. But it's that the Republicans' plan is to privatize Medicare using Medicare Advantage. Uh, and, and what uh, Rolling Stone, the Rolling Stone article unearthed is just written in the Heritage Foundation transition document. It spells out exactly how they plan to do that. Switch so that the uh, when you become Medicare eligible, you're automatically put into a private insurance plan that that you then would have to opt out of if you wanted to uh, go into traditional Medicare, which we know just like all the science, all the social science of opt in um, and opt out show that that's how you would kill it. That's like right. it would do it. And, and most people wouldn't see that you know, it doesn't sound as bad as like, you know, I'm going to rip your health care away from you, Tom, and make sure that, you know, an insurance company can delay and deny you needed care. Uh, but that's what it would do um, directly. So uh, that has been exposed. And it's it's great that people are like shocked and outraged by it. Um, for us, who have been fighting it for so many years. It's really obvious that this is what they've always been trying to do. Right. Um, privatize Medicare. Right. And they've got now they've got about uh, 51, 52, 53 percent of 
uh, seniors who are on Medicare of some sort being on Medicare Advantage, um, if they shift this, uh, you know, basically auto or opt in, uh, if they shift the, the, the paradigm here, I'm guessing that within five years or so, they'll be up to 75, 80% of everybody on Medicare is on Medicare Advantage, at which point they can probably pull the plug without most Americans even realizing, much less without much outrage. Although um, the truth is that when you get to that point, um, the system breaks because the way Medicare Advantage actual, which is not Medicare at all, as you know, um, right. it's just private insurers. The way that they make their money uh, is by delaying and denying care, um, finding the people who need the least care and excluding the people who actually need health care. So as they destroy traditional Medicare, it actually breaks the healthcare system totally because there's nowhere for those people to go. Once mm. Medicare uh, is gone because the private insurers have destroyed it, um, then a person who's denied care, which is how these companies make their money, they just die. They have nowhere to go, Tom. That's right. the problem. Um, they, the system that the insurers are relying on being parasites on they will kill it. Uh, and you know, like what Trump and the Republicans want to do is accelerate that death spiral, uh, which would lead to the absolute uh, destruction of health care for seniors. Um, and again, it seems sort of innocuous, right? Like, oh, it's just auto enrollment in the so-called Medicare Advantage. That sounds just like Medicare. Uh, but that switch and i think it'd be faster than five years but it would i mean definitely by five years um you know the idea of traditional medicare would be um, maybe not recoverable uh, and then you take that one further tom and and you know this their whole goal is we're fighting to improve and expand medicare to everyone in this country and guarantee health care for everyone in this country they're racing to kill medicare before we can do that. Um, right, and then so they'll the roll out, after they've killed Medicare, then they'll roll out, hey, we've, we agree with Bernie Sanders now, we want Medicare for all. Well, Medicare Advantage for all, actually, but yes, let's do this. That's exactly right. Um, and then, I mean, we can even zoom in a little bit more. It's United Healthcare, right? The yeah. giant. Um, it's either single payer with United Healthcare uh, or single payer with uh, improved Medicare for everyone. Those are the two paths. Uh, in one yeah. of those paths, every, in uh, improved Medicare for all, everyone gets health care. You get sick, you get the care that you need, full stop. That's the way it works. In United uh, Healthcare, you know, private insurance for all, you get sick, uh, you don't get the care you need. You get denied. And the more you need the care, the more likely you are to be denied because you're one of the ones that costs money. And insurance companies don't make money by paying for health care. They make money by denying claims. Uh, that's their the entire way that they make money. So there's no way of reforming that, you know? Like it's, mm -hmm. th that is the fundamental point of these companies. So they can only do one thing, take our premiums and deny our care. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, we're speaking with Alex Lawson, the executive director of Social Security Works. Alex, what what is happening on the Social Security front? Uh, for a long time, Republicans have been wanting to privatize Social Security. The big banksters are gung-ho for it. Uh, you know, Jamie Dimon was doing a fundraiser, I believe, for Nikki Haley, in part on, you know, based on this, the idea that, hey, there's trillions of dollars here, and, uh, you know, if it was sitting in our bank instead of, the, instead of you know, the federal government's, we could be skimming a little bit off the top, and, you know, us billionaires could become multi-billionaires. Yeah, and, and or, you know, the, they talk about uh, the, the we'll have trillionaires way before we uh, even make a dent in poverty. Right. Uh, so, you know, that's... That is everything you laid out is exactly right on Social Security. The the thing I'd add is that they're um, the vector that they're using to attack Social Security, the commission, the so-called fiscal commission, which is just a death panel um, for Social Security. It's really alive and well, and it's uh, it's super dangerous, Tom. Um, as you're watching the uh, immigration deal you know, sort of fall apart because uh, Donald Trump is directing the House Republicans um, to, you know, not support it at all. Um, when the funding, the government funding fight actually, which is part of uh, this fight, um, when that actually comes due the deadline, which is March 1st and March 8th, um, it's very possible that the commission is used as the pound of flesh to get um, Republican votes. They've advanced it to the floor in the House and the Senate. All of the stars are aligned for uh, Wall Street to get their death panel for Social Security. We have a good shot of blocking it in the House, uh, but we do have to raise our voices right now uh, is the critical time. Wow. Um, <laughs> Simpson bowls all over again. And and of course, this this would uh, I, what I'm seeing is that their strategy would be to basically cut Medicare be or uh, excuse me, Social Security benefits by raising the retirement age. I, I understand every every one year later that people have to retire is the equivalent of about a seven percent cut in Social Security benefits in terms of all the money that Social Security has to pay out. And this way, they avoid raising the cap on the very wealthy donors to the Republican Party. Is that the essence of it? That is it in its entirety. Their plan is. Um, to just replace, uh, you know, what we say is in a decade, we have to have millionaires and billionaires pay the same rate into Social Security as the rest of us mm -hmm. um, to prevent around 20% benefit cut in a decade. What they say is we're going to cut benefits by 21% today to, quote unquote, prevent a benefit cut in the future. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. That's just the right. problem sooner. But it makes perfect sense if you realize that their goal is to protect the billionaires from paying their fair share. Their goal is to undermine Social Security. Correct. Uh, so and, and so the, when do they roll out Social Security Advantage? You know, I think it's sort of like the commission, it, it, that's the commission where they would, would discuss, they would discuss things like that. And I will say, Tom, what makes this more dangerous than the Bull Simpson Commission is in the Bull Simpson Commission, it took a two thirds majority vote in the commission to advance the fast track, which that basically blasts through Congress. And if it gets out of the commission, it's going to get done. They realized that was their mistake last time. So this time it's a simple majority. And that change alone makes this commission far more dangerous than the Bull Simpson commission was. Um, so wow. that's why we have to ensure that it does not even get impaneled because it will be harder to block if it is. Yeah.
incredible. Uh, you know what's going on here. The, you've got two parasitic industries, insurance and banking, who are looking at trillions of government dollars that are right now benefiting Americans, and they're going, "We want to get our hands on all that money." It's insane. Alex Lawson, Social Security Works is the website. Check it out. Alex, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Great talking with you as always. We'll be right back at 16 minutes past the hour. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Up next, why America needs a Trump election subversion verdict quickly and a crazy alert, deep fakes. Wow. Stay with us. And welcome back. Diane in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hey, Diane, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's on your mind today? Hi, yes. Hi, Tom. Uh, and sorry about your friend. I heard that yesterday. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you scared me yesterday <laughs> or shook me up when uh, you mentioned the Crumley trial. Mm-hmm. I thought, uh-oh, you were going to announce a verdict. Um, no, I she was just testifying that. yesterday. Um, well, it's been going for, um, they're in, the jury's in sequestered right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank They've you. been listening, yeah, the last uh, couple weeks, 10 days, with the active trial. You can listen to it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. They even have it broken down now, yeah, eight hours, but they've got it broken down now so you can hear the testimony of uh, different individuals on uh, the trial. It was very interesting that Shannon Smith was the defense lawyer for Jennifer Crumbly. Mm-hmm. Was she something else? Uh, she was whining to the judge about her caseload. She was, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They even on Instagram made a compilation of her saying she's sorry over and over so many different times. She is the person who defended uh, Nazar for the Michigan State mm-hmm. medical doctor. Right. Um, on the sex abuse is, cases, yeah. Um, yeah, and it sounds like they're trying to push it on husbands because they're saying, uh, or the school, uh, you know, the responsibility. Right. Um, That's what mom is trying it, to do. It, yeah, I, I read that yesterday. Yeah. Part of her testimony was that this was my husband's decision, not mine, essentially. Yes, and yes, and it, it um, in the closing, it was incredible what this Shannon... Um, Smith, the defense lawyer, was comparing uh, Jennifer to her in that moms just get overwhelmed sometimes. She says, and she says, you say that that uh, Jennifer drinks. She goes, I drink too. I'm a mom of four and I drink. I have one drink, sometimes two drinks, sometimes three and four. Sometimes I've been known to have a bottle. So Whoa. what? Whoa. Yeah, and, but you didn't give a gun to your kid. <laughs> you know, when you well, knew that he might shoot up his know, school. Well, and the problem is, you, the boy, they have uh, evidence that he was crying out for help in writing and, and this yeah. and that. But they, Well, he had been reported to the police, by, or to the parents anyway, by the, by the teacher who said that he was drawing pictures of people being killed with AR-15s. And in, in, in saying, I, I, I'm desperate. And, yeah. Yeah, they... But the thing that is, they had horses. They had two horses at a riding stable, mm-hmm. and they spent a tremendous amount of money and time um, on, with the horses. That that mm-hmm. was there out, and the boy was left alone. And you know, when they're gone, I mean, he's he's all alone. And 
they said, why didn't they spend or you know hire counseling? Mm. And then they said the school wasn't aware that he had a gun, you know, as gifted to him, mm-hmm. and that obviously he had access to because he got it, right. you know, and took it to school. But um, hopefully, if she if she's convicted uh, in its uh, what is it negligent homicide, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Involuntary. Um, that maybe it'll make a difference in gun control. Maybe it'll I, be. The I crack, hope so. You know, I the, hope so. It's we need. You know, they, somebody needs to start taking responsibility, right? The Republicans in Congress passed a law saying that you can't sue the gun manufacturers anymore, uh, and so you know now they're suing the parents. I mean, somebody's got to have some responsibility. Diane, thank you. Thanks for the update and the report. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll be right back. Twenty minutes past the hour. Missed my opening rant today? It's usually published over at HartmanReport.com where you can read it and share it with your friends for free. Check it out, HartmanReport.com. So MAGA Mike and the Republicans want a religious test for people running for public office. They want to know that you are sufficiently Christian to be worthy of being elected. Right. MAGA Mike is one of these uh, seven mountain evangelicals. There are seven domains where these dominionists believe that we need to have religion completely take them over. Education, religion, family, business, government, military, arts and entertainment, and the media. Seriously. This is not what Jesus was preaching when he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto, unto God what is God's. This is the opposite, in fact, of what Jesus was teaching. It's the opposite of Matthew 25, where Jesus said, the only way to get to heaven is by feeding the hungry, healing the sick, helping the poor. It's, this is counter-Christian, anti-Christian, in fact. In fact, I think you could say it is the Antichrist's work. There's a piece about it over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Twenty-two minutes past the hour, nearly half of the United States right now wants uh, a, a verdict before the election. And Trump, of course, is doing everything he can to try to push that verdict way off into the future. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with this. Um, but uh, this was a study that was just published uh, on Monday by CNN. A quarter of Americans don't think Trump will ever concede if he loses a second time. Yeah, I don't think he will either. I'm expecting, you know, uh, all, you know, all scam all the time, right? 48% of those polled believed it was essential that there be a verdict before November's election. 16% they would said they would prefer to see one. So that's uh, uh, 50, 64% total. Um, so uh, the president is speaking right now. Let's just let's just tune in and see what he has to say. And for the American economy. And it's why the Wall Street Journal endorsed the bill with the headline this morning, which reads, quote, a border security bill worth passing. The Senate has reforms Trump never came close to getting. That's the quote from the journal. This bill would also address two other important priorities. First, it provides urgent funding for Ukraine. I'm wearing my Ukraine tie, my Ukraine pin, which I've been wearing because they're, they're in dire straits right now defending themselves against a Russian onslaught. A brutal conquest. The clock is ticking. Every week, every month that passes, 
without new aid Ukraine means fewer artillery shells, fewer defense air, air defense systems, fewer tools for Ukraine to defend itself against this Russian onslaught. Just what Putin wants. Ukrainians are fighting bravely. You know, you've, many of you look around the room here have followed me in this for a long time. I pulled together a coalition of over 50 nations to support them. On the phone, talking to these leaders. We unified NATO. Remember when we first came to office, NATO was in, well, they're all together and actually increased the size of NATO. We can't walk away now. That's what Putin's betting on. Supporting this bill is standing up to Putin. Opposing this bill is playing into his hands. As I've said before, the stakes on this fight extend well beyond Ukraine. If we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine, he won't limit himself to just Ukraine. And the cost for America and our allies and partners will rise. For those Republicans in Congress who think they can oppose funding for Ukraine and not be held accountable, history is watching. History is watching. A failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. The position of the MAGA Republicans can be characterized by the New York Times headline. First, and this is the headline, it reads, Trump first, Putin second, America third. That cannot pertain. This bipartisan agreement also provides Israel with what it needs to protect its people and defend itself against Hamas terrorists. And it will provide the necessary life-saving humanitarian assistance for the Palestinian people. By opposing this bill, they're denying aid to the people who are really suffering and desperately need help. You know, there's more work to get this done over the finish line, and I want to be clear. Doing nothing is not an option. Republicans have to decide. For years, they said they want to secure the border. Now they have the strongest border bill this country has ever seen. We're seeing statements about how many oppose the bill now. Look, I understand the former president is desperately trying to stop this bill because it's not, he's not interested in solving the border problem. He wants a political issue to run against me. I've all but said that across the board. No one really denies that that I'm aware of. The American people want a solution that puts an end to the empty political rhetoric, which has failed to do anything for so long. We have to get the resources to the border to get the job done. So Republicans have to decide, who do they serve? Donald Trump or the American people? Are they here to solve problems or just weaponize those problems for political purposes? I know my answer. I serve the American people. I'm here to solve problems. It was just months ago that Republicans were asking for this exact bill to deal with the border, to provide support for Ukraine and Israel. And now, and now it's here. And they're saying, never mind. Never mind. Folks, listening to the Tom Hartman program. Call 202-808-9925. President Joe Biden calling out the GOP. We'll be back with uh, that. Uh, This amazing, crazy alert. And your calls right after this break. Hi, uh, welcome to the Tom Hartman University Book Club. We're reading today from my newest book, Adult ADHD. 
um, the first edition, or the first draft or version of which I actually wrote some 20 years ago. But it's, it's uh, you know, we've updated it and reissued it, and I think you'll find it really interesting. Uh, this is uh, from the introduction. There's a substantial subpopulation of the world that has a common and somewhat consistent set of personality characteristics. These traits have, for many people, led to difficulties in school, relationships, and work, and coll are collectively known among psychologists and psychiatrists as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD. When researching this subject, I was struck by the number of ADHD adults I met and interviewed who'd chosen to become entrepreneurs, to strike out on their own, to forge their own unique lifestyles and businesses independent of others. Most often, these people are involved in an ever-changing life, often starting many businesses or regularly leading their existing companies in new directions. They thrive on stimulation and living on the edge. One biography of Ben Franklin asserts that he was America and possibly the world's first real entrepreneur. Because rather than simply learning a trade and opening a lifelong business, he learned dozens of trades and created more than 30 businesses, as well as social and governmental institutions, the post office, libraries, all kinds of things Ben Franklin created for this country. This creation is something new over and over again is the core of entrepreneurship. Whether you're a company owner or an entrepreneur within a company where your job constantly involves new projects or change. When writing an earlier book, Attention Deficit Disorder, A Different Perception, I heard from a psychologist who specializes in ADHD that perhaps as many as half of all entrepreneurs have ADHD. Now, a few, later, a few years later, and after conversations with thousands of entrepreneurs around the country, I've come to the conclusion that nearly all entrepreneurs have ADHD to one extent or another. And I would add probably the vast majority of salespeople as well. I'm not speaking here of the fellow who carefully invests his money in a corner dry cleaning shop, runs his own business on that corner for 25 years to finally retire comfortably. While that person may meet some definitions of entrepreneurship, I'd rather refer to him as an independent small business person. Such people constitute an important and stable core of the business life of their community and of this country. Instead, I'm speaking here of those individuals who create or participate in dynamic, thriving, ever-growing, ever-changing com companies. I'm speaking of the ones who take chances, who experiment. Henry Ford, who had several bankruptcies before he hit on a formula that worked. Or Thomas Edison, who tried thousands of different variations before he could get a working light bulb. These people's lives are often littered with failures, but their successes have given a spark of vitality and enterprise to America and made our country, particularly in its early days, unique in the world. They continue to bring us inf innovation and change that give great hope and promise for the future of our nation and the world. Some have applied their entrepreneurial characteristics to become great leaders. John F. Kennedy and Winston Churchill, for example, stand out. Others have created inventions, businesses, social institutions, and art that have changed the world. This book is about people who have overcome their challenges and in many cases actually used aspects of their ADHD to achieve prosperity or victory and for those who would seek to emulate them. This book is for those who are willing to take chances to forge a new niche in this business, social, cultural, political, or art world or to create something new and how to do that successfully. In the writing of this book, I've interviewed many people in the business world, including some of America's greatest Few would want to raise, raise, jump up and raise their hands and say, yes, I have something that psychiatrists call a disorder. Nonetheless, all were, to my mind, hunters. My term for people with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is described in this book to one extent or another. 
They shared stories of their successes and failures from childhood through advanced age that were remarkably similar. From these stories and my own successes and failures as a business person and entrepreneur, I've assembled a collection of specific tools and techniques for people with ADHD to achieve success in the business world. And then, you know, we get into chapter one, the nature of ADHD. We all experience a spectrum of levels of states of consciousness as we go through moment to moment on daily life. On one end of the spectrum is the very open, distractible state that we experience when driving or walking on a busy street, noticing all the events around us, alert to everything in our environment. At the other end of the spectrum are the tightly focused states of consciousness in which we're so intent on the book we're reading or the conversation we're having that the ticking of the clock in the room or the drone of traffic outside ceases to exist. When in a normal and relaxed state of consciousness, most people fall into a place somewhere between these two extremes of open and focused. They shift from open to focused and back with relative ease. It's difficult for the average person, however, to maintain either an extremely focused or an extremely open state of consciousness for hours at a time without such things as meditation, training, or the use of drugs like caffeine. The natural tendency is to snap back to the center line between the two states, which is to have a little bit of both. Some people, however, have an off-center baseline state of consciousness is their norm. Estimates vary between experts and researchers, but these people may represent as few as 10 or as much as 40% of the population. And this is the beginning of that difference that makes for ADHD and how it can be a tool, a useful thing, something that can actually help people succeed in the world. So this is our, our book report, our book you know, reading today from uh, my book, Adult ADHD, How to Succeed as a Hunter in a Farmer's World. Hey, if you like the rants that I open the show with every day, they're typically published over at hartmanreport.com. Check it out. From Los Angeles to Columbia, South Carolina, from Birmingham, Alabama to Baltimore, universal basic income programs are chalking up proof after proof of their viability. Basically, just giving people, low-income people, poor people, somewhere between $500 and $1,500 a month, no strings attached, is lifting people out of poverty, getting them back on track, getting them into solid middle-class jobs, helping their children tremendously. This works. Now, we don't have to do UBI in the United States. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a national health care program. Health expenses are whacking a lot of low-income people. We're the only country, developed country in the world that doesn't have free college education. Education expenses are whacking people. There's a lot we could do. We can subsidize housing. We can subsidize food. We do that with food stamps. We could expand it. There's a lot we could do to, to, to benefit from this. There's a whole report about that over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. And welcome back. Uh, 35 minutes past the hour. Oh, I have to, this is an amazing story, this crazy alert for the day. And then I'll pick up your calls here. Um, just imagine this. You, you, you work in a, in a, this guy worked in a bank, right? You, you work in a, in a finance organization. And uh, you get a note from your boss that says, you know, we've got a Zoom meeting this afternoon in a half hour. Please click the link. You, you, you click the link. You go into the Zoom re meeting. And there's your boss. You can see his face. And there's the four or five people that, that work with your boss, you know, people you, who are your superiors, as it were, in the organization. You can see all their faces. 
and the boss says, uh, you know, uh, hey, Joe here, I need your help. I need you to I need you to transfer $25 million to this organization. And here's all the information. Here's the, the billing number and everything. And just wanted to let you know that we're all in on this and we all agree with it. And everybody's nodding their head. Everybody else in the meeting, a couple of people may speak up and say a couple of words in favor of this. And, uh, you know, please uh, just uh, get this done right away, would you please? And so the employee says, okay, fine, hangs up the Zoom call and goes in and transfers $25 million out of the company's bank account into this other company's bank account, someplace else, wire transfer, and then discovers that it wasn't actually his boss. It was actually a deep fake. In fact, all of the people on the Zoom call were computer-generated faces of people you know. They were all deep fakes. And the voices the, the, you know, were generated by this deep fake program. That, you know, it just, what they had done is, what the crooks had done is they had recorded a previous conference that all these people were on, a previous Zoom conference that had somehow gotten out in the public domain. And then they cloned all these people. And then all they had to do was write a new script for them and they would say new things in their own voices. I mean, that's where it's, and this actually happened. This guy actually paid, well, it was actually $25 million, 20 million British pounds actually. This happened to a guy in a, working for a bank in Hong Kong. But uh, be careful, right? Get ready. The day of uh, reality and unreality uh, merging is much closer than I think most of us realize. All right, let's pick up your calls here. What's on your mind today? Ray in Renton, Washington. Hey, Ray, what's up? Hey, Tom. I uh, just want to say thanks for your show. Uh, it's, a, it's a real national service, I think, what you do here. And I want to share a story about engaging with Trump voters because, you know, I hear, I hear callers all the time saying, you know, they haven't talked to their, their relatives over, over, you know, support for Trump or whatever. And I've had a different experience, and I think it leads to something that's really salient to this show. I've got a, a neighbor, a couple of colleagues, and, and a couple of friends that I knew were Trump voters over the last year or so. And when I engage with them, you know, I ask questions. I try to, you know, I say, help me understand why you support Trump over whatever issue. And, uh, you know, I don't try to confront them. I don't try to change their minds. But what I do is kind of push back in whatever the topic is with some, some knowledge that I've learned from this show, whether it's from your show, your your great um, uh, guests, and even Sue's Daily Stack with, you know, your referenced uh, articles, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. And it really gives them pause. A lot of times I get the question, how do you know that? Where did you learn that? And then I point them to your show. And I say, you know what? Learn something. Give yourself a chance. Open your mind and give Tom's show five days, whether it's, you know, uh, an hour a day for five days, or maybe uh, I listen to your podcast at night a lot of times and not available in the day. So try his pod, pod, five podcasts with an open mind. And I can tell you that four of those five people no longer support Trump. Really? So here's my point, Tom. Absolutely. And here's my point. Every person listening to this show right now knows five Trump voters. And I put a challenge out there to every one of them don't try to change their heart and minds. Challenge them a little bit and steer them to Tom's show. Because if every one of us went out and did that with five Trump voters, we'll, we'll influence the outcome of this next election. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for the endorsement, Ray. And uh, But most importantly, good on you for fighting the good fight, for, for speaking up and, and uh, you know, converting four out of five. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's 
That's exactly right. I, I, I love what you say. Tag, you're it. Now, yeah. listeners, tag, you're it. There you Every go. one of us can do this. Okay, Ray, thank you very much. Thank you for that call. Greg in McAllen, Texas. Hey, Greg, what's on your mind today? Oh, I'll tell you what. Hey, Tom, great show. Listen, um, just want to dab on to Mr. Donald Trump. Uh, this man, for lack of a better word, that... Um, you know, you answered one of my questions that you went ranting on about the book about Donald. And, you know, this man has never had a political career. Why is it so powerful? But you answered my question. It's, it's because that he has that thug type of, so to speak, personality, you know? Yeah, he's an authoritarian yeah. leader. He plays the exactly. role of, of dictator. And people want, you know, there are some people who would just want a dictator there. Um, I think it was the Young Turks, well, one, you of the, know, one of the news organizations the other day, went out and interviewed a bunch of Trump followers and just asked them right up front, would you rather have Trump as a dictator or Biden as a, as a president? And they I, were like, we'll take Trump I, as a dictator. Well, you know, that's what happens because he, he was born, that's the result, what happened to him, that's the result of born, in a, born with a silver spoon, you know? Yeah, yeah I think so. I th you know, he's, he's got a level of entitlement, obviously, that he... He just believes the whole exactly. world, you know, it needs to be bowing down at his feet. He was born, a, you know, a billionaire, arguably, in today's dollars anyway. And and uh, he, neither he nor anybody in his family have ever been held to account for basically anything in their entire lives. Um, it's, well, it's, to be honest with you, Tom, I don't even think, to be honest with you, Tom, I don't even think he's really worked a solid eight hours a day, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, I, well, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it, I, I don't want to. I don't want to trash his work ethic. I don't know that much about no, no, it. No, no, no. I, I understand. I but, understand. But I, but I, oh, but I do I know the guy's a criminal. You. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I wanted to dab on you. They're playing a political baton with the with the immigration because yeah. I live about a half an hour from the border. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, I saw a segment on on that other network, CBS, mm -hmm. uh, that there's Chinese immigrants that are flooding in through the border, you know, so right. to speak. Right. And, and you guess, you know, there was a, a gap between go to go with it because the thing about California, there's no real grandy, that no real grand river to handle with. It's yeah. just all land, you know? Yeah. That's very strange though. You know, I, I mean, I actually know a couple of people or uh, no, no is probably too strong, but I'm an acquaintance with a couple of people who are illegal Chinese right. immigrants. And they didn't come over the Rio Grande. They flew here on a tourist visa and overstayed their visa. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I just don't understand why Chinese people are going yeah. to Mexico to cross the border. I, I'm very skeptical about that story. But Greg, I need to move along. Thank you for the call. Brandon in San Jose, California. Hey, Brandon, what's on your mind today? Uh, how are you doing, Tom? Good, what's up? Okay, so I got a, it's kind of a question, but it's also kind of a statement, if you don't mind. So. We have Nikki Haley, Bonnie Willis, Tanya Chutkin, Eugene Carroll. Uh, oh, and um, the uh, Letitia James. Letitia James, yes, and the financial monitor, obviously. Is it possible that these six women will be the undoing of Donald Trump? And wouldn't it be the ultimate poetic justice? Yeah. Given that he clearly has, it, it, maybe he doesn't hate women, but he has he has contempt for women. Yeah. Let's say that. Yeah, I, 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 that's an excellent point, Brandon, and uh, well worth making. I also think that the media needs to start referring to Donald Trump as a as a rapist. He, you know, he he, he was convicted of of sexually assaulting 
Uh, convicted is not the right word because it was a civil trial. He was found liable for se sexually assaulting E. Jean Carroll. And then when he appealed that, the court came back and said, and, and said, you know, essentially you're saying I raped her um, and I didn't. And the court said, no, we're saying that you did rape her and we will use that word rape. And so, you know, we, ha we now have a judge having used the word rape and said, yes, Donald Trump did this. And, you know, that mean, that makes you a rapist. It's, it's pretty straightforward. So why is the media yep. not pointing this out? I, you know, I, I, they so want a horse race. They just, they want Donald Trump back. And I mean, they made billions of dollars on Donald Trump in 2020 and in 2016. They want their cash cow back. They want a TV star. They wanted a TV star with Ronald Reagan. Uh, you know, they want a TV star now with Donald Trump. It's pathetic. Brandon, thank you for the call. It's, it's just pathetic. It's 44 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Speaking the truth, the RNC and their billionaire owners would really rather you didn't know. I'll be right back with you. And welcome back. Barbara in Chandler, Arizona. Hey, Barbara, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I'm just so excited to tell you that I um, switched back to Medicare mm -hmm. recently. Good. And as of March 1st, I'll be on on Medicare. And I did that. I had been referred to a broker by a friend a couple of years ago. And he, of course, wanted me to do Medicare Advantage, as did my friend. And... So I um, I did it, and then I started hearing from you about the problems with that whole scenario. And this guy, and he said those other brokers that really push the Medicare Advantage get almost um, twice as much in commissions. That's correct. And that's why they do that. Yeah, the Medicare Advantage programs pay an average commission of between $1,000 and $2,000 per sale. And the Medicare uh, Medigap programs that you use with regular Medicare, they pay commissions that run from two to $500 per sale. So, yeah. Yeah. So I would say anybody who wants to make that change, you can do it right now. Mm -hmm. And um, you, have, you have to do it, I think, by the end of this month and then you can um you just have to find a broker who believes in medicare yeah and who's willing to sell medicare uh medigap plans over medicare advantage plans uh which right. means that you've just got to find somebody who's got some small amount of integrity <laughs> and, right right yeah, or call call the company itself you know i mean you can you can call united healthcare or aetna or aetna's getting out of the business actually um, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of companies out there that offer Medigap plans in addition to Medicare Advantage plans. And if you if you say, you know, I want to buy a Medigap plan from you, uh, but I'm stuck with this Medicare Advantage plan, help me get out of it. I don't know what they can do to help you, but apparently it works. So, Barbara, you know, call us back when everything when the dust has settled and let us know if everything worked out okay. All right. I sure will. Thanks, okay. Tom. Thanks, Barbara. Good talking to you, Pearson in Lamarck, Texas. Uh, uh, oh, Pearson. Yeah. Hey, Pearson, what's up? Yeah, that's right. You got it right. Yep. Uh, I really love hearing Ray's story, especially after hearing what you shared about the employee who was tricked by AI images and video yeah. to transfer all that money. <laughs> and then hearing now about $2,000 commissions and all. 
all this money in advertising and CEO salaries, yeah. pay packages, and office furniture compared to the overhead that only the government requires to administer payment. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's the difference between night and day. It's so criminal what they're getting away with. Yep. That's not why I call. Why did I call? Oh, yeah, that's right. I get so annoyed. Yeah, Pearson, you're fading in and out really rapidly. I'm not hey, sure why. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Okay, is that nope. better? Yeah, it is, but we only have a couple seconds. Was that your point that you wanted to make? Well, the point I wanted to make is that Donald Trump should not be allowed on the ballot because he never was a legitimate president, and I'll explain that to you next week then. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Pearson, thank you very much. I, You know, I'll, I'll probably agree with you. Look forward to it. It's 48 minutes past the hour. I'll be back in 60 seconds with more of your calls. Stay with us. Hey, thanks so much for sharing our program and for reaching out to our stations and sponsors and letting them know that you're listening. It really means a lot to us. Welcome back. Ten minutes before the hour. David in North Miami Beach, Florida. Hey, David, what's up? Hey, y'all. Yes, I've got uh, whoever did that deep fake you described. Mm -hmm. uh, he, should, he should get busted for plagiarizing a subplot in Back to the Future 2 where uh, middle-aged Marty gets tricked into something to get them fired. Oh, but, interesting. Uh, my, I had forgotten yeah, that. Right, where he gets the, the fax messenger fired in, in triplicate. Uh, but my good, Ben, the ugly is it's good that we had the anniversary of Balloon Gate getting shot down back on the 4th. It's bad that we just lost um, Toby Keith at age 62, who's a regular punchline for um, Mark Maron on Morning Sedition 20 years back. Mm -hmm. And it's ugly that we no longer have those Medicare TV ads by N Leslie Nielsen or anyone equivalent. Is that by law or just a conspiracy of dunces? Those were not ads, if we're remembering the same thing. Those were what are called public service announcements. And um, the, the Ad Council produces public service announcements, typically. Uh, government agencies also produce them. And they're provided at no cost to radio and TV stations and, and programmers, you know, like us. And uh, if we have unsold commercial inventory, if, if we've got, uh, you know, an ad that's going to run at at uh, you know in 10 minutes um, but nobody nobody in the company has sold that ad then what you do is you plug in that that public service announcement it used to be before reagan ended the fairness doctrine that uh, and maybe maybe this has more to do with the telecommunications act of 96 i'd have to go back and check but but Perfect. anyhow before the 90s it used to be that you actually had to run a certain number of public service announcements as part of your um, fairness doctrine requirement to program in the public interest um, that yeah, went away sometime between 87 and 96. And so now the, those ads are still available to broadcasters, but they're only used when you can't sell inventory. Which is a larger problem, but you know, it still has our problem that we only get ads for Medicare Advantage. Right. And sadly, 
nothing that says go to medicare.gov. I don't know how much of that website has been contaminated. A large part of it. has been described. Yeah, the the Trump administration in particular uh, reinvented the Medicare uh, website so that it's largely a huge ad for Medicare Advantage, as are the uh, brochures that come out, although they have been from the the get-go. I mean, this was part of the program that George W. Bush put into place, but um, uh, but I would love to see Medicare to have an advertising year. budget. Say what? One more thing that needs to be fixed next year, preferably with a friendly Congress. There you go. And uh, President Biden reelected. Amen. Thanks much. Yep. Good talking to you, David. Thank you. John in Vienna, Virginia. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, you've been talking about Medicare, Medicare Advantage. My wife and I just, uh, she's had insurance. She's an HR uh, executive for a company, head of, uh, head of the HR department. As a, and uh, we have this argument. I, I went on the web and I found this uh, workshop that's uh, this guy has a thing called the Medicare School. And he's pretty neutral about everything, except for the fact that he says that he says that Medicare Advantage is not the way to go, that uh, the supplemental Medicare is the, is the way, to, right. way to do things. So I'm going back to my wife and try to get her to, you know, get, uh, get on the web and, and, and watch this. And she's just totally against it. She comes up with the, some of the inducements that they, uh, they give you, you know, better uh, dental insurance and this kind of thing, uh, right. cheaper. Yeah. For, for but, a but wait until you get cancer or a heart attack or something, and then you're going to be SOL. Right, right. But I, I recommend uh, I recommend that as a sort of a neutral site to go to, okay. just to get the the basics of uh, of uh, Medicare versus uh, Medicare Advantage. Okay, so sounds like a plan. John, thank you for that. Thanks okay. for sharing. Uh, Les in Winnemucca, Nevada. Hey, Les, how's it going? You got a primary hey, going today, Brian. don't you? Uh, yeah, there I mailed in my ballot two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I thanks for taking. Oh, my hang, call. hang on, just a second, Les. Let, forgive my interruption, but Jennifer Crumbly in Michigan was just found guilty on all four counts of involuntary uh-huh. manslaughter with regard to her son's mass shooting. Uh, this is the beginning. I'm telling you, the beginning of holding parents to oh, account. Yeah. For, for when your guns or their guns are used in these mass shootings. Back to you, Les. What'd you call about? Well, I, uh, I wanted to say that there's a lot of right-wingers out here in Wemaka, and the, the, I have found that I can get the, the, the hardcore Trump voters. They won't listen to reason. Yeah. But most people, when you sit them down and you treat them the way a good defense attorney leads the leads the witness around with questions, mm-hmm. you bring them back to where they contradict themselves, and you point it out, and they go, "Yeah, I never thought of that," you know. Mm-hmm. And most people, most people, I mean, I don't know about anywhere else. I just know about here. Most of the people here care about democracy, want to do the right thing, and do not like Trump. Yeah. So I think he's going to win here in Nevada. But, you know, we all agree on two things. I've said this before. I called it the president's hotline this morning. It took 10 minutes. 
from the time I got on there at seven fifty until I talked to him, and, and I was done within ten minutes. And uh, we agree on two things out here, all of us. Mm-hmm. There's too much money in politics, and the rich folks they pay their fair share. Yep. Of taxes. Yep. And we all, all of us, right and left. And I've called the local TV stations. I say, why don't you guys say something about this? Mm. And none of them. Because you know where that money in politics ends up, Les? It ends up in TV stations. Sure, I get the old bitch. That's why the news is all screwed up. Got a bunch of rich people running it. Yeah. It's Mitch people? Rich people. Oh, rich people. I see. Okay. Yeah. Can we, we Trumpies? You know. <laughs> yeah. No. This is this is and and this is you're you're welcome, Les. And this is you know to Les's point. This is what five corrupt Republicans on the Supreme Court brought us. They they put their hands out, right? Uh, Clarence Thomas. Oh yeah, buy my mother's house and put that letter. Oh yeah, put my son through college or through through. Uh, you know, uh, prep school, uh, you know, take me on a million dollar vacation. Sam Alito, oh, I'd love to have a speaking fee and a free trip to Europe first class all the way. Yes, no problem. Amy Coney Barrett, oh yeah, my dad's a, a fossil fuel lawyer, but I'm not gonna recuse myself. Neil Gorsuch, yeah, I got a, I got a sweetheart deal on my land here with uh, some of the billionaires who support us. Uh, we're all in on this. Brett Kavanaugh, who, you know, who paid off your gambling gets? You know, I, Anyhow, these these Republicans decided in Citizens United to legalize bribery, and here we are. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Is corporate ethics an oxymoron? Do you have to be a jerk to be a successful CEO? Is exploitation the only path to profit? The good news is that many companies, big and small, in the food economy are blazing a different path through Wall Street's jungle of greed, demonstrating that money and morality can be compatible. Texas supermarket chain HEB, for example, has drawn an intense loyal customer base by, one, investing in good wages and benefits for employees, two, showing up in such emergencies as pandemics, hurricanes, freezes, to give essential supplies and hands-on help. And three, being an involved and supportive neighbor to the hundreds of unique communities it serves. Also, Maine Grains is relocalizing the business of milling grain by working with local farmers who had been abandoned by global grain marketers. They're producing flowers from heritage grains, boosting the local economy in the process. Then there's Bob's Red Mill, which also mills its products from diverse natural grains, and it's 100% employee-owned. These are part of a rising business alternative to the selfish profiteering ethic of Fortune 500 titans. Called certified B corporations, they definitely exist to make a profit, but they're equally focused on having a positive social impact, prioritizing fair wages, environmental protections, and healthy communities as core elements of their missions, even making those goals legal requirements of their corporate charter. This is Jim Hightower saying Ben and & Jerry's and New Belgium Brewery are just a couple more of some 3,800 other businesses now organized as B Corps. Though not pretending to be perfect, they're at least striving to be more than money grubbers, instead trying to contribute to the common good. For more information, go to bcorporation.net. 
You're listening to X-Ray FM. KXRY Portland. At 91.1 and 107.1 FM. And in Nehalem. Wheeler. In Manzanita. And Rockaway Beach. At 91.7 FM. Streaming online everywhere. Live and archive. At X-Ray.FM. Radio is yours. Radio is yours. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1937. That day marked a pivotal moment in the continuing Flint sit-down strike. The nationwide strike against GM started in Flint, Michigan in late December. By late January, UAW organizers agreed that nearby Chevy engine plant number four had to be shut down. It was a massive facility. It employed 4,000 workers on two shifts. The plant superintendent had been firing union activists. Armed guards patrolled every inch of the facility to prevent a sit-down. Union organizers knew there were company spies in their ranks. They planned the takeover by staging distracting job actions at nearby Chevy plants number nine and then number six. This would draw the guards away from plant number four. And so on this day, just as the day shift was ending, workers sat down at Chevy plant number nine. The company guards were ready to launch an attack. They began beating and gassing the sit-downers. The women's emergency brigade smashed plant windows to dissipate the gas. The diversion worked. Guards left Chevy number four unattended. Workers then turned off all the machines and barricaded themselves in. The plant guards tried to re-enter and were met with pistons, connector rods, and fire hoses. The Women's Emergency Brigade gathered outside the plant and locked arms. UAW organizer Joe Sayan announced, quote, We want the whole world to understand what we are fighting for. We are fighting for freedom and life and liberty. This is our great opportunity. What if we should be defeated? What if we should be killed? We have only one life. That's all we can lose, and we might as well die like heroes than like slaves. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at laborhistoryin2. Are you a parent of a child younger than six? Did you make less than $30,000 last year? If so, you may qualify for a new Oregon tax credit. The Oregon Kids Credit can be worth up to $1,000 per child. But to claim it, you must file a tax return. Filing a tax return not only allows you to claim the Oregon Kids Credit, but other tax credits for families worth thousands of dollars. To find free tax filing assistance, call 211-INFO by dialing 211. So if you're a parent of a young child and are struggling to make ends meet, be sure to claim the Oregon Kids Credit. And remember, the deadline to file a tax return is April 15. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. At the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, Terry Bloom, the owner of Stone Bend Farm in Newfield, New York, built a greenhouse. He's using it for more than growing plants. The 4,000-square-foot timber-framed structure houses a farm-to-table kitchen and tap room, too. And it's all heated by geothermal energy. You say geothermal and people's eyes glaze over a lot of times because it sounds so technical and scientific, but it's so simple, and that's what I love about it. Just a little ways underground, the Earth maintains a fairly stable temperature. In New York State, it's about 50 to 55 degrees year-round. 
Geothermal systems harness that warmth to provide heating when it's cold out. Under Bloom's greenhouse, thousands of feet of plastic drainage pipes snake back and forth. Fans pull the air through the pipes and into the building. Let's say it's zero degrees outside. When you feel that air come out of the vents, the geothermal vents, it's going to feel like heating. The system requires only a little energy to run, and it helps Bloom avoid using more expensive and polluting sources of heat like natural gas or propane. During the winter, the greenhouse does get cool, but the plants stay alive and hardy customers gather to enjoy local food and beer in a one-of-a-kind setting. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To learn more about climate change, visit climateconnections.org. You've got it on X-Ray FM. We'll be back to Tom in just a second, but first, here's the new one from the Fruit Bats. is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is my uh, my buddy and colleague, Michelangelo Signorelli, who is the uh, uh, does uh, his show right after mine, right here on Sirius XM uh, Pro- Progress, Channel 127. He's on the air from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the, the Michelangelo Signorelli Show, and also you can read his work. One of, the, one of my favorite newsletters that I subscribe to on Substack um, is the Signorelli Report because it is, it, it, he, he, uh, Michelangelo does such a great job of just grabbing the top, you know, the hottest issues out there and boiling them down to uh, rational arguments and, and insights that, you know, they're, they're well worth your time, and it's free. Uh, so, you know, just get over there to Substack.com and plug it in, It's uh, or Signorelli.com, S-I-G-N-O-R-I-L-E.com, uh, or M. Signorelli, right? Michelangelo, tell me which one uh, it is. No, senior, uh, Signorelli.com or Signorelli.substack.com. I did what you did, and there's no Substack needed, so they could just go to S-I-G-N-O-R-I-L-E.com. And thank you for those generous words, Tom, and thank you for having me today. My pleasure, and and my apologies for uh, putting a hard G in your in your last name. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's totally fine. <laughs> so uh, the piece that you published today, or or in the last 24 hours, I believe, 
is uh, welfare states declare war on donor states, but they have no money. I thought this was absolutely fascinating. You're talking about Greg Abbott trying to start a new civil war, and that's a whole topic in and of itself I'd love to get your thoughts on. But then um, it, it, we need to stop calling these states like the old Confederacy or, or the red states or whatever and start calling them what they really are, and that is welfare states, right? Socialist welfare states. There you go. I like so, throwing in the word socialist, too, because, you know, they rail against socialism, these Republican governors, and that's what they're into, federal money, getting money from the federal government, and they pay out less than they take in. So I, I have to first give enormous accolades to one of my readers, Jan Pfuhl, who has been a obtaining all this data and putting it in the in the comments in my newsletter for you know months and months and months on every topic he would look through the lens of the welfare states and the donor states and everything that was going on and it was just at this time when we see what greg abbott is doing that i said they're now stoking a civil war let's see how that would play out who would be part of it and it turns out that they're flat broke. <laughs> they have no money. Uh, they are Texas, Florida, the 25 states that uh, have joined Texas in this civil war talk uh, all take money from the federal government that is far greater than the money they put in. Texas and Florida used to be donor states. Uh, back in 2005, there were 19 donor states, and there are now... Uh, just a handful in 2019 there were just a handful and florida and uh, texas fell into the welfare states and uh this is as they're of course railing against socialism and uh here they are saying here you know ron DeSantis is saying every state should be like florida well yeah if you have new york and california and massachusetts to back you up Right. Paying your bills, essentially. <laughs> it's, right. It really it really is pretty, pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I, one one thing I don't understand is why. And, I, you know, I've written about this and ranted about this in the past. And I know you have, too, Michelangelo. Uh, why is it that the that the Democratic Party doesn't make better use of this? <laughs> I guess it's probably because there are some blue welfare states, as it were, as well. Um, That's right. I mean, New Mexico at the top of that list. New Mexico, Maryland, um, a lot of blue states, to be fair. But also, to be fair, their governors are not calling for civil war and attacking socialism and right. attacking social programs. Their governors want social programs, right? And we want to help all of those people. We are a united nation, and we want to help all those people. And we also want to, obviously, um, stand with all of the people in those states like Texas and Florida who don't agree with those particular programs. And I, I suppose maybe Democrats don't want to demonize the word welfare. Um, that's why I thought using the word socialist as well is a good way to take that word back from there using it in such a pejorative way, mm. because uh, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott rail against socialism, but they need these government programs uh, now more than any state. And, and what's even more outrageous is Texas is the number two economy of the states. Uh, California is number one. It is a donor state. Uh, Texas is number two. New York is number four, uh, number three, excuse me. And then Florida is number four. So Texas and Florida are actually 
two of the top economies, and yet they're just completely on the dole of the federal government. Uh, the money they're making with their huge economies is going to a lot of rich people in those states, but mm. it's not going to the people of those states, and then they're taking federal money. Right, and not to mention, you know, the military bases and NASA and everything else. It, it really is a, uh, it's an amazing grift that these guys have pulled off. I, I noticed today that you, uh, your most recent post is titled, Trump won't let the GOP win even when they're handed a gift-wrapped victory. I'm over looking at the Cinerelli report, uh, you know, uh, S-I-G-N-O-R-I-L-E dot com. Um, this is this is pretty, pretty breathtaking, isn't it? That that uh, no, we won't give you aid to Ukraine unless you give us exactly what we want on the border. OK, here's what you want on the border. Well, no, we're still not going to do it. What say you? It, extraordinary, really, because uh, Democrats obviously want to get this money to Ukraine. The White House wants to get the money to Ukraine immigration activists were really worried they were going to give away way too much in their desire to get that money to Ukraine. And uh, according to the bill, they did. I mean, there's a lot of ugly stuff in that bill, mm -hmm. uh, but it won't even be debated on to take stuff out or put other stuff in because Donald Trump said, no, I want to use this for my campaign. I don't want a border bill. And and it, it, it's, it's, it's really putting these Republicans in a terrible place because now not only will they not get the best deal they ever would ever have imagined right their wish list mm -hmm. yeah but now they go into the election with joe biden and the democrats able to use this against them and say look we we wanted to do something on the border and they refused to because donald trump told them not to right biden needs to be on the border this afternoon I mean, he needs, to, he needs to fly down there, you know, with a, with a couple of dozen Democrats from the House and Senate and do a press availability and say, here we are and we're ready and, you know, give it to me and I'll sign it. And uh, but but, you know, to what extent I, I'm of the opinion, uh, Mike, I, I'm of the opinion that the largest factor here is not the border, um, that Trump saying that he wants to run on it, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we all know he's going to run on it no matter what. But um, I think the largest factor here is that Vladimir Putin told Donald Trump no more, no more money to Ukraine. And Donald Trump has told the GOP no more money to Ukraine. We're all we're all in on Putin because we're trying to reinvent America into a, a neo-fascist strongman state uh, the same way Orban has used Putin as his role model and reinventing Hungary. And you got, you know, Orban coming over here and speaking to Republicans at CPAC and telling them you should do it the way we do it. And uh, you've got uh, Tucker Carlson now in Moscow right this moment. I mean, there's a heavy effort on the fascist right in America to turn America into Russia. And, and I think that's the biggest piece of this. What, what are your thoughts? I, I think you've really hit on something and it's very astute. And and in a lot of this discussion, the Ukraine money has almost been forgotten, which is the basis that that was that, that was the whole reason for this bill i mean they have right. been holding up the ukraine money for months and of course donald trump does not want ukraine getting that money putin doesn't want ukraine getting that money inside the kremlin where they were talking about how uh, good they felt about isolating the United States and how the Republican Party was actually helping them uh, in, in not, I think, of exactly what you're saying. Yeah, 
Yeah, it, it, it certainly appears to me that this, you know, sadly, this, this assault on democracy, that this is all part of a larger, essentially an assault on democracy that, that the GOP has bought into. Um, and, and frankly, I think has been buying into for, for quite a number of years. You need to check it out. Uh, you get over to S-I-G-N-O-R-I-L-E.com, Cinerelli.com. Uh, Michelangelo Cinerelli's the website, and for his uh, newsletter, it's free. You can sign up for it, the Signorelli Report. Michelangelo, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great talking with you. Always great to be on the program, and just love all the work you do, this Tom. Thanks so much. is the Tom Thank Hartman you. Program. Thank you, Michelangelo. Great talking with you. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls in just a moment. Stay tuned. It's uh, 16 minutes past the hour. Welcome back. Ron in Land Lakes, Florida. Hey, Ron, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech. I've been thinking about all the public lands that the oil companies have been drilling on and taking oil out and shipping it overseas. And I can't really understand why uh, they're doing that, which is causing the high cost of gasoline here in this country. And then I can't figure out how Saudi Arabia winded up uh, one of the biggest refineries of this oil that's being shipped overseas. Uh, Maybe you can help me with that. Sure. Well, first of all, the oil companies are perfectly happy to extract American oil and sell it overseas uh, because of the profit motive. Um, Now, this used to be illegal. Richard Nixon, back in 73, during the Arab oil embargo, got, I, I don't recall if it was legislation passed or if it was executive order, exactly how it got made into law, but basically outlawed the export of American-produced crude oil and you know, raw materials, basically crude oil and natural gas. And uh, I, I don't think it extended to coal. And uh, that stood until uh, Obama took it down. And I, I forget the year, I think it was 2010, but I could be wrong, but uh, there, uh, we hit a point where we were producing so much oil that we were independent. And, and be just fine, and we could control mercy of and legalized or decriminalized export, and so now they're they're exporting oil. Um, I don't recall the second part of your question, Ron. Well, the second part dealt with Saudi Arabia owning oh, one of the yeah, largest how, how, refineries. Yeah, they, they bought the largest refinery in America because it was for sale, and we don't have rules in this country that prevent foreign investment. Um, in fact, we have we have subsidies. We encourage foreign investment. So Saudi Arabia well, right now, you know, if they really want to to hurt Joe Biden, and I predict this will happen. By the way. Because um, it, it happened uh, in, 2000, in 2022, I believe. Um, if they really want Joe Biden to, to lose, then they will shut down that refinery in Texas for a few months for maintenance, of course. And uh, the price of oil or the price of gasoline in this country will go up a buck or two a gallon. Well, you know, too, uh, public land belongs to all of us. In theory. And uh, therefore, they're taking from us. And, and and sending all of this overseas mm-hmm. to benefit the people overseas, and uh, that's not right nor fair. I agree. 
And it's not really to benefit the people overseas. It's to benefit the, the oil company executives and stockholders who make a profit on selling it to people overseas. But, you know, I, I mean, there's no altruism involved here. And, and I, I really do think that we need to have, uh, this needs to be a discussion in Congress, um, you know, of having some kind of control on foreign ownership of critical infrastructure, which includes things like refineries and, and, and utilities, uh, number one. And, uh, and number two, real estate, uh, residential real estate. I, I, you know, we've, we've got a real housing crisis in the United States right now, and in large part it's caused by speculation in real estate that, by foreigners, by, by people who are not even citizens of the United States, and by Wall Street. And we've got to do something about that. Ron, I hope I answered your questions. Thank you for the call. Um, and thanks for watching Free Speech TV. It's 20 minutes past the hour. I'll be back with more of your calls and more of the news of the day in just a moment. Stay with us. Change starts with you. You can be calling your Democratic or Republican representatives to let them know what you think by calling 202-224-3121. It's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you right through to them. You know, one of the grand questions that political scientists have been scratching their heads over for years in America is, why do right-wing billionaires fund anti-black history movements? Why are, they, why are they pouring money into these people? Why are they funding anti-trans movements? I mean, what does this have to do with being a billionaire? Well, it turns out it has a lot to do with it, and here's why. Almost 30 million Americans lack health insurance. 37 million of us live in dire poverty. One in five of us are illiterate. A quarter of Americans suffer from a diagnosable mental illness and can't get treatment. 316 people are shot every day in America. Four billionaires don't want us to deal with any of these problems of society. That's the real issue. If they can get us fighting with each other over black history or over trans people or kids, they win. Then we're not talking about taxing them, raising their taxes to where they should be. There's a whole rant about this over at HartmanReport.com that you can read and see all the stats and all the hot links. Check it out. Twenty-two minutes past the hour. Welcome back. And uh, just a quick, this is a, uh, just a heads up, uh, over at hunterandafarmersworld.com, uh, we've published a new piece. It's titled uh, ADHD, Find Mentors in All Areas of Your Life. And it's a story about, from a guy named Steve in Cheyenne, Wyoming, who talked about uh, how he got a sales job in a computer company and his boss, a uh, guy named Ralph, was brilliant. And uh, took, him under his, uh, took him under his wing and basically taught him the business. And he's now a successful entrepreneur himself. And the, the lesson here is if you can find a mentor, if you can find somebody who can be a role model for you in life, um, you know, you can, you can go a long way. And there's, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for that, you know, even beyond getting an education and things like that. And it's particularly useful for people who are hunters in a farmer's world. So if you're curious about that, you can read the whole article over at hunterinafarmersworld.com. All right, let's pick up your calls here. Paul in uh, Glenview, Illinois. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Tom, it's a pleasure. Thank I you. just wanted to share, in the hopes of helping other people out there with long COVID, wanted to share my story. Um, I got COVID in uh, May of 22, very mild symptoms. 
And then probably three or four months later, I started getting the weird uh, long COVID symptoms. And, you know, I've been dealing with that for over a year and a half. But about a month ago, my wife had just finished taking um, dietary supplement, lysine. Mm-hmm. She was prescribed uh, that for something she was going through. You know, sitting on the counter. I had taken it previously for H, um, uh, the herpes virus, mm-hmm. um, and with success uh, many years ago. So I decided to, to start taking it again. And to my amazement, it's been about a month, Tom, and I'm about 80% better at my symptoms. Wow. That's remarkable. So Just an amino acid. Isn't, isn't lysine yeah. one of the amino acids that is, uh, uh, pops up really, really high in things like fish? Yes, it does. Yeah. A lot of meats. I, that's what I thought. But uh, I, after I started feeling better, I did some further research. And, uh, you know, lysine's a building block for collagen and other body tissues. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't explain why I feel better, but uh, I've been taking it now for a month. Mm-hmm. And um, honest to God, I feel 80% better. That's wonderful. Um, That's wonderful. Yeah, I don't know. You know, folks can try whatever they want, but I yeah. think um, there's people that have tried everything, no success. But th- I, I'm just excited about it. So. Yeah, and there's no downside to taking lysine. I mean, it's a food supplement. It's, it's you know... Uh, uh, that's that's fascinating. I, the thing that amazes me, Paul, is the the statistical uh, the statistics around the epidemiology of this. Um, the official number is that roughly five percent of people who get COVID get long COVID. Long COVID can be a lifelong disability. It can be the end of your career. I mean, uh, it, could, it, it, it alters your life in significant ways, as I'm sure you're aware. And five percent. I mean, if 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 five percent of all the airplanes flying today fell out of the sky, um, and there's roughly ten thousand airplanes a day in the air, so you know at any given moment, so you know if what, what would that be? Five hundred airplanes fell out of the sky today, or even fifty, um, which I think would be half of five, you know, half of one percent. Nobody would get on a plane. I mean, you know, if, if it was one percent of airplanes fell out of the sky every day, nobody'd get on a plane. If it was one percent of airplanes fell out of the sky every year, nobody'd get on a plane. And yet people are walking around without masks and people are, are ignoring, they're getting their vaccines and things like that when 5% of people who get COVID end up with long COVID. And if, if you and the second time you get COVID, it goes up to 7%. The third time you get COVID, your chances of getting long COVID go up to 10%. I mean, I, I, I'm just astonished at how cavalier we are. We're responding to this, Paul. I agree. And the thing about uh, COVID is a virus, right? Yeah. So is so is herpes, and a lot of a lot of data shows that it does help with that virus. So the could there be a correlation? Yeah, yeah. could there yeah. be a correlation? So, oh, interesting. Well, you know, viral viral pathways are probably similar, you know, for, for reproduction and and. Uh, but I yeah I, I don't. I don't either, but um, I've had a month of success, and I'm very excited about it. Good. Well, I hope you continue so, to get better, Paul, and keep us up to date on how it goes. Okay. Go Joe Biden. Thank you. There you go. Thanks a lot, Paul. Good to hear from you. Thanks for listening to WCPT. It's 27 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with uh, more of the news of the day and your calls, well, specifically your calls, right after this break. Stay with us.
You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Fair and only slightly unbalanced. I'll be right back with your calls. It's Tom Hartman Book Club, and today we're reading from What Would Jefferson Do? And this is from the chapter Warlords, Theocrats, and Autocrats, Aristocrats Rise Again. Uh, the subchapter Theocrats Attack Democracy. And the uh, epigraph that we started the chapter with is from uh, President Abraham Lincoln, where he said, I am approached with the most opposite opinions and advice, and by men who are equally cons- certain that they represent the divine will. I hope it will not be irreverent of me to say that if it is probable that God would reveal his will on such a point so connected with my duty, it might be supposed he would reveal it directly to me. Um, so this, uh, the subhead of the chapter, America is a Christian nation. No, it's a nation where a lot of Christians live. And I write about Judge Moore and his Ten Commandments thing and his statement that, you know, America was founded in Christianity and, and then um, proceed to share the founder's actual view on this. Our founders were both well-schooled in the history of the Crusades and knew from firsthand experience with Puritanism how oppressive religious men could be even with small amounts of political power. Ben Franklin fled Boston when he was a teenager in part to escape the oppressive environment created by politically powerful preachers. And for the rest of his life, he was openly hostile to the idea of a secular power being wielded by those who hold also religious power. Although he was fascinated by the spiritual experience, Franklin had little use for the organized religions of his day. In his autobiographical Toward the Mystery, he wrote, quote, I have found Christian dogma unintelligible. Early in life, I absented myself from Christian assemblies, end quote. In his autobiography, Franklin talks about how he came to this way of thinking, quote, My parents had early given me religious impressions and brought me through my childhood piously in the dissenting, in the Puritan way. But I was scarce 15 when, after doubting by, several, by, several, by turns of several points, as I found them disputed in the different books I read, I began to doubt of revelation itself. Some books against deism fell into my hands. They were said to be the substance of sermons preached at Boyle's lectures. It happened that they wrought an effect on me quite contrary to what was intended by them. For the arguments of the deists, which were quoted to be refuted, appeared to me much stronger than the refutations. And I soon became a thorough deist, end of quote. Franklin, like most of the more well-known founders, was a deist, subscribing to a philosophy made popular by Unitarians who held that the Creator made the universe long ago and has since chosen not to interfere in any way, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that neither Jesus nor anybody else was divine, or alternatively, that we are all divine, and that there is only one God and not three. Another founding deist who resisted giving political power to those with religious power was George Washington. Jefferson's diary entry for February 1st, 1799 reads, quote, When the clergy addressed General Washington on his departure from the government, it was observed in their consultation that he had never, on any occasion, said a word to the public which showed a belief in the Christian religion. And they thought that they should so pen their address as to force him at length to declare fidelity whether he was a Christian or not. They did so. However, Jefferson noted, the old fox was too cunning for them. He answered every article of their address, particularly except that which he passed over 
without even notice. Jefferson concluded that Washington, quote, did say a word on the subject. Morris, a close friend of Washington's, has often told me that General Washington believed no more in that Christian system than Governor, than he himself did, than Governor Morris did, end of quote, from Jefferson. In fact, President George Washington supervised the language of a treaty with African Muslims that explicitly stated that the United States was a secular nation. The treaty with Tripoli worked out under Washington's guidance and then signed into law the next year by John Adams in 1797, reads, quote, as the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslims, and as the said states never have entered into any war or act of hostility against any uh, Muslim nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interruption of the harmony existing between the two countries, end of quote. But for the founders, this wasn't just an issue of being Christian or not. They didn't want any organized religion mixing its functions with government. For example, on February 21st, 1811, President James Madison vetoed a bill passed by Congress that authorized government payments to a church in Washington, D.C. to help the poor. Faith-based initiatives were a clear violation, in Madison's mind, of the First Amendment doctrine of separation of church and state and could lead to a dangerous transfer of political power to religious leaders. Caring for the poor was a public and civic duty, a function of government, and should not be allowed to become a hole through which churches could reach and seize political power or the taxpayer's purse. Funding a church to provide for the poor would establish, in Madison's words, a legal agency, a legal precedent that would break down the walls of separation the founders had put between church and states to protect Americans from religious zealots gaining political power. Thus, Madison said in his veto message to Congress, he was striking down the proposed law because it helped a church to, quote, provide for the support of the poor and the education of poor children of the same, which, Madison warned, would be a precedent for giving to religious societies. That would be giving federal funds. Now, uh, things have certainly changed since then with the faith-based initiative program that started under Reagan has now exploded. But anyhow, the book is What Would Jefferson Do? From international trade policy to immigration policy to housing, we've got all kinds of topics. The wars between Republicans and Democrats, the Republican efforts to induce fascism in the United States. A great selection of opinions will be found over at HartmanReport.com. You know, between uh, 40 years of Ronald Reagan's neoliberalism destroying the American middle class, and all the just horrors of January 6th and the Trump presidency, America's waking up, and that's a really good thing. I, there's actually, you know, some books coming out about this. I mind the hidden history of democracy. Neil Howes, the fourth turning, is here, and it looks like a, a moment of American Renaissance is upon us if our media doesn't screw it up. Which raises the question: Can we have democracy and Fox News? Can the two coexist? Like, you know, when Fox News runs Chiron saying that, that uh, essentially Joe Biden is a wannabe dictator who's throwing Trump in jail because he's his political opponent. There's a whole rant about this and an in-depth analysis of what can we do with regard to repairing our media here in the United States over at HartmanReport.com. I think you'll find it interesting. Check it out.
Welcome back. Picking up your calls here. Marie in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Marie, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Um, <laughs> regarding Nikki Haley's um, statement that there should be um, an extension of eligibility for Social Security to the age of 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that might be. I'm not saying that it is acceptable, but it might be acceptable or at least less unpalatable if there were appropriate protections for workers over the age of 50. Hmm. The, the protections in this country are so unbelievably weak. Yeah. So if you think about it now, I mean, especially look at all the layoffs that are being announced in the tech sector. Um, you've got people who are um, over the age of 50, you know, having to try and find a job. And the things that I'm seeing are that that can take up to an entire year. There are hundreds of interviews with no job offers to follow. Right. Now extend that to the age of 70. Right. And what does that look like? It looks like a punishment for getting old. Yep. Yep. I think so. I, you know, I, and this is all to protect rich people from having to pay a small percentage of their income in in uh, in income, ta- you know, in Social Security tax and FICA tax, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is just bizarre. Yeah. You know, we're going we're going to protect billionaires from having to pay income taxes, and and in order to do that, we're going to basically screw you know. Uh, old people. Uh, just, you know, yeah. How do these people sleep at night? I, I don't get it. And, and I would posit, by the way, Tom, that, you know, you were saying that, you know, their next step is to try to, just like they have with Medicare Advantage, they want to have something along the lines of Social Security Advantage. I would posit to you we already have it. It's called the 401k ripoff. Well, that was why, you know, when Reagan, Reagan started that whole thing, you know, of the retirement plans, mm-hmm. uh, there's a big, there was a big deal. It was part of the Reagan revolution. And that was the whole point, was that it would eventually replace Social Security. Or at least that's mm-hmm. how Republicans were talking about it. And, and at the time, I mean, I, I remember being opposed to 401ks. I was an employer at the time, um, being opposed mm-hmm. to them because I felt that they would weaken Social Security. That was my concern. It wasn't that as an employer I didn't want to have to match them or anything like that. Um, it, it, but mm-hmm. it, it was that this, you know, we've got a good system here. And I, you know, I saw this as a political move. Um, it, it was partly that, and it was partly that if you've got your money in the stock market, then suddenly mm-hmm. the interests of billionaires who park their money in the stock market more rap, mm-hmm. more completely aligns with yours than do the interests of poor people, for example, who don't own stocks. And it was it, I, I, I saw the 401k scam as a way of just getting people into the stock market so that they would, they would um, you know, Share be held the, hostage. Yeah, exactly. Well, be, share the share the worldview of the of the morbidly rich. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Maria, I need to move along, but thank you for the call. Your points are really well made. Thank you so much, uh, Anne in Moriarty, New Mexico. Hey, Anne, what's on your mind today? Oh, hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I want to reach out to all of your listeners, uh, whether they're in red states or in blue states, and something that they should be doing every day. Um, something I do every day is I've bookmarked my uh, two senators, my representative, the president, the vice president, and sometimes even the Justice Department or some of the other departments. And I email them every day. You know, and it's usually, uh, I figure I'm just counted, so I try for one line uh, zingers. Mm-hmm. Like, like today, we were talking about um, uh, Medicare. So, uh, Tell your senators and your congressmen to uh, protect Medicare and to expose the uh, Medicare Advantage uh, plans for the 
uh, for-profit schemes that they are, and that they do it for, you know, by taking health care away from you or denying health care to you. Uh, another one-line zinger would, and I include the Justice Department on this, would be to investigate Trump as a Russian asset and also the 147 uh, Republicans in Congress who are accomplices uh, and are helping him in this. Yeah. And uh, another one-line zinger would be to uh, fund Ukraine and say it's going to be uh, American dollars now or American blood later. Mm-hmm. And do it every day. You can, you know, bookmark it. You, you, uh, uh, on the first one, you copy it, and then you just drop the same thing in uh, three or four other, other right. places where, where they fit. Right. And if everybody would do it, if we could get a national movement started with people who really care for this, this country, I think it would get the word out there. It's especially important in the uh, red states, but the blue states have to have it too. They have to, mm-hmm. Those guys have to know that, that you know, you're advocating for democracy in this country. Yeah, I'm, anyway. I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of reaching out to your elected officials, and I'm glad you're doing it, Ann. Um, I don't know if Daly is going to get you on a spam list or not, but uh, you know, if not, congratulations. And, I, you know, it's marvelous. Thank you for uh, hopefully inspiring other people, Ann. It's great to hear from you. Tim in Matawan, Michigan. Hey, Tim, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's on your mind today? Many years ago, I read an obscure article about how Saudi Arabia's oil reserves have stayed the same for 20 years. A big hint is when they went public with Aramco, and then they bought that refinery. We must sell gas and oil to Europe now that the Russians aren't. It's imperative. And that's all I want to say. Okay, what am I missing here? Uh, I, I know well, that, even, you know, I, one of the things I wrote about in, in uh, Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight was that when the Saudis, um, when their company went public, th- suddenly their stated oil reserves massively increased and there was no audit, there's no proof that they actually are sitting on as much oil as they claim they are. Is, is that where you were going with that? Exactly. Yeah. Well, even in the economics class, they use a, a explanatory example of an oil well. So, you know, like it's gonna run out. Yeah, it's a depleting resource. When, when it does, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, it's a depleting resource. And and in fact, in the, in the 70s and 80s, there was considerable concern that the Saudis might be running out of oil in the next 40, 50 years. Um, but they keep uh, they keep increasing their numbers, and, and you know they're they're also borrowing money against those increased numbers. So there, there's something sketchy I, going on there. There's a bunch of liars. Yeah, yeah. Well said, Tim. Thank you for the call, Randy in Cynthiana, Kentucky. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind today? Hey, good afternoon. Um, if I could say something that's kind of out of the line of what I was going to say, uh, could I ask you a question? Uh, could, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know why. Well, it's that's false question either to either answer. It has to be the chickens, plural, because in the beginning God created them male and female. It's impossible for a unfertilized egg to hatch. Okay. So that disproves evolution All in right. any form. All right. But I was going to ask you about Florida and California and Texas. Right. Uh, being some of the largest draws of uh, national welfare, you say. Mm-hmm. Why do they do that? I mean, what's the reason for that? Why would they get national money? Well, one reason is because they have the oldest populations, or most of the oldest populations in America. 
And the other reason is that they have a lot of illegals coming in that they will take care of. Actually, I think so, the biggest reason, Randy, is that these are states that have not raised their minimum wage. So they have large populations of people who are making so little money that they qualify for food stamps and rent assistance. Um, if they well, simply raise their minimum wage, they would, they would uh, probably become donor states rather than welfare states. Well, I live in the state of Kentucky, and it's probably a, a welfare state also. It is. We have 720, we have 725 an hour. Yeah. And you I, get, cannot hire, I can't hire anyone, not, not, not anyone, less than $15 an hour. Yeah, well, it depends. And they look at you for that. No, I, I, I get it. I get it. Minimum wage, really? Yeah, it's whatever the market will bear. And and also, uh, none of those states have expanded Medicare or Medicaid, rather. Excuse me. So so now you've also got a bunch of low income people, even if they're making fifteen bucks an hour, who can't afford to 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 get health care. And so you know they're they're having to go on to you know various other kinds of programs, or you know when they get really sick, they end up in the ER, things like that. Randy, thanks for the call. Um, good luck, <laughs> you know, selling the idea that it's all illegal immigrants. I don't think so. It's just not. It's 44 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's your media support group for We the People. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Mark in Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Well, I'm calling you from the road, Tom. But, um, hey, uh, one, first of all, one way to improve the media is to get corporate ownership out of, the, out of it. That's all I say about that. But okay. um, a couple of quibbles about what you were talking about with the call earlier. The really you said, you said that New York really doesn't benefit when the buyers really don't benefit from all the LNG terminals and all the energy that we're shipping abroad. The way they do because it gets them out of the mess they got themselves into with supporting Ukraine and the Russian-Ukraine war by stopping their Russian oil imports or to get, uh, by not getting a lot of their energy from Russia. The other thing I just wanted to mention was um, agree wholeheartedly about you know, real estate and uh, the foreign ownership. One thing you got to also mention, and in Richard Wolf's latest show, we talked with Michael Hudson, a great conversation people should listen to on YouTube, it's um, also, we can't forget about the private equity vultures who are also buying up a lot of real estate and raising rents to such yep. outrageous levels that, what is it, like 80% of people that are there for who are paying rent can't really afford what they're paying. Yep. Yeah, we've got a real crisis of uh, rental affordability in the United States. Mark, excellent points all. Thank you uh, very much for calling and making them. Uh, Eric in Windsor, California. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind today? Hey Tom, nice to uh, uh, to talk with you. I've been listening to you for years. Thank you. Hey, um, I tell you what I'm calling about. Uh, I, I, you know, you've had a, a kind of a, a negative attitude towards Medicare Advantage plans, and uh, I, I want to kind of uh, give you a different perspective. I've been doing 
health insurance for, damn, since the 80s. And um, Medicare Advantage plans, uh, most of my clients on them love them, love Medicare Advantage plans. And, uh, you know, the difference, I don't know how much you know about Medicare, but there are supplements and there are Medicare Advantage plans. That's the big divide. Supplements, a person, uh, first of all, they have to have a Part B premium which means it's uh, this year it's going to be $174.50 a month, okay? Uh, then uh, to get a, a supplement, you're going to have to spend at 65 probably 100 a month on top, and a drug card, which can run anywhere from 30 to 40 bucks a month. Uh, a Medicare Advantage plan is a capitation plan, meaning that the government gives uh, uh, an insurance company a certain amount of money a month uh, to take care of patients. And, it right, was and that's the problem, because now the insurance company only makes money if they say no to you. And that's why 18% of claims into Medicare Advantage are, are denied. Millions of claims a year are denied. Once people start getting sick, they no longer love Medicare Advantage. You know, I get everything well, you're okay. saying. and that, But that's the only way that these companies can make money is by saying no to you. Real Medicare does not insert a claims adjuster between you and your doctor, you and your hospital, you and the medical procedure, you and the and the MRI machine. <laughs> Medicare Advantage always inserts a claims adjuster in between those two things. And 18% of the time will tell you, no, you can't have that test. No, you can't have that procedure. No, we're not going to replace your liver. No, you're, 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 you're SOL. And that's my problem with Medicare Advantage, Eric, is that it screws people over time. And the older they get and the sicker they get, the more the worse they get screwed because it's like all kinds of freebies on the front end but screw you on the back end eric thanks for the call we'll be right back support progressive radio if you're listening to us on a commercial station call their advertisers and let them know you're listening if you're listening to us on pacifica or one of our many nonprofit stations please support them when they do their fundraising drives thanks for supporting progressive talk radio and tag your it when i was a little kid my grandmother had a piano and i loved to play it i i i, I was incompetent <laughs> but i was figuring out all kinds of stuff and then I kind of got away from it and, you know, went to school and things got busy and just lost track of it. Well, now there's this fascinating new study out of the University of, of Geneva, Switzerland, that is making me think, maybe I should go back and learn the piano. Uh, it, what they found was that they, they, they took a group of 132 healthy uh, older adults, uh, retired, 62 to 78 years old. Half of them learned the piano. Half of them took music classes uh, without learning the piano. And what they found was that those who learned the piano actually had uh, the, the strongest increase in their memory, in their, in, their, in their mental competence, their mental faculties. Those who took the music classes also, also did well, but the, learning the piano was a huge step. So uh, check it out. There's a whole long rant about this over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Welcome back. Nine minutes before the hour, picking up your calls here. Carl in Chicago. Hey, Carl, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Don't be skeptical about the uh, number of Chinese immigrants coming into the United States. 
60 Minutes ran a story this last weekend. I don't think you, you probably didn't see the story. I did not. Uh, there was a they interviewed the people coming through a gap in the fence, 60 miles south or east of uh, San Diego, mm-hmm. and last year 37,000 Chinese immigrants came into the United States, an increase of 50 times, 50 yeah. times. And what, what, when they interviewed these people, they said, why are you coming here? And they said, there's no jobs in China. Ever since the COVID, cra- COVID crackdown, you know, how, you know how tough China was with the crackdown. Right. Uh, they, they stopped the COVID, but these people lost their businesses. They lost everything. And these people are selling their homes and coming into the United States. And they're coming through a gap in the fence where this guy named Schuster owns the land, and they were burning trees on his land, and he asked them, please don't burn the trees on my land. And he came out with a gun and shot in the air to tell him, you know, to go away. The the authorities came and took his gun away and told him to cut it out. And and he said, well, what do I do with these people? And and they, they told him, call Washington to see if they... And when we try to send these people back to China, China won't accept them. Yeah. I don't understand why, if you're going to make it from China to the Americas, why you're flying into Mexico City so that you can put yourself through this rather than flying into Los Angeles. Well, this one kid gave him the route. He went from China to Ecuador to Colombia to Panama to Costa Rica to... uh, No, I get all um, that. Why didn't he just fly into Los Angeles? Uh, you know what? All of these people have cell phones, Tom. They all have smartphones. Right. And you know, he asked, this gal asked him, how are you getting this information? And she said, through TikTok on cell phones. And they found the cheapest way to come through. Interesting. Okay. Well, you know, thanks for the information, Carl. I don't know what yeah, to do watch, with it. But watch 60 Minutes. Yeah, I'll have, you to, can get I'll, a rerun I'll have of the to check program. out that segment. Yeah, I know it's on, it's on, it's on, uh, it's on online available. Thank you. Uh, Dave in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, Tom. About a week ago, I was reading about that in, uh, where those uh, soldiers and that, that got killed in that deadly drone attack and the uh, 40 or so that got wounded. Mm-hmm. Well, where the Army and that is still mulling up if they're going to award these uh, troops combat accolades, you know, like the Purple Heart and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And uh, it's, uh, it's kind of funny because... They've since changed the ruling a couple times, like back in 84, after that, the barracks bombing, Reagan had signed an executive order awarding Purple Hearts to all those 241 who died right. in Beirut. And then, again in 2009, Fort Hood shooting after Army Major Nidal Hassan. Mm-hmm. And uh, the families had fought the military for about five years saying that it should be classified as a terrorist attack. Well, in the Army and the DOD thought that it was liking it more to a, a workplace attack. And I always kind of thought that that was a case of fratricide myself. But they got, you know, they did get that uh, Purple Hearts because uh, it puts them in a different classification for all kinds of stuff. Right. Now, right. and again, they had changed, they had uh, lobbied Congress even, you know, to uh, help, you know, get that, you know, get these... Uh, Authorization. You know, the, they changed the 2015 NDAA. Right. Interesting. So it broadened the definition. So of we're an we're still waiting to find out if they're going to get uh, acknowledgement as war veterans, as war. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. 
you know, that shouldn't even be, uh, you know, yeah. up for debate. You I'm, know, I'm like, with you, Dave. I'm, I'm with you. Dave, I, I need to move along. I just have a minute left right, here. Thank right. you. Thank you very much. Julie in Posen, Michigan. Hey, Julie, last minute's yours. What's up? Hi. I would like to know what it would take to reverse Citizens United, because we will never have a true democracy without reversing it. I what agree. would it take to do that? It can be one done. Can it, it can be done two possible? ways. The first way is for the Supreme Court itself to reverse itself. The Supreme Court has done that before. I mean, they reversed them. They just reversed Roe v. Wade, for example. You know, in 1954 with Brown versus Board, they were reversing um, uh, the. So we'd have to doctrine. replace them. <laughs> so yeah, that would be that's number one. The number the second way to do it is for Congress to pass legislation that reverses uh, the Citizens United. Because Congress has the ultimate say in, you know, what is the law and what isn't. I mean, arguably, the Supreme Court can knock down laws Congress makes and, you know, from time to time does. But uh, it, when those laws are unambiguous and clear, and, and frankly, this was a large part of the For the People Act that, that Nancy Pelosi got passed out of the House of Representatives that had 50 votes in the Senate, would have passed, except that the Republicans declared a filibuster, and then Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema refused to break the filibuster. But had that passed, that For the People Act would have uh, outlawed a lot of the dark money that is the result of Citizens United. So I think that would get rid of the Republicans if we did that. Exactly, and that's why they filibustered it, you know, United. Uh, Julie, I got to run, but thank you for the call. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. I'll catch up with you tomorrow. Listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Our local newspapers are being merged, purged, shrunk, shut down, and looted by Wall Street profiteers. Yet, there's good news. In the towns those media vultures are torching, a phoenix is rising. Hundreds of determined locals, often led by people of color, are finding new ways to pay for and revive top-quality local journalism. For example, the Ferndale Enterprise moved to an old Victorian home, renting upstairs rooms to vacationers to subsidize the paper. Also, while aloof Wall Street owners have no connection to us or our towns, the scrappy new community papers are stressing their grassroots connection by moving into friendlier, more central, street-level spaces such as public libraries and community centers so that regular people can see them and have direct access to their reporters and editors. Then there's the editor of the Sahan Journal in Minneapolis, who moves his weekly editorial meeting to the offices of various grassroots groups so their members can help shape the paper's coverage. And in Marfa, Texas, the Big Ben Sentinel is literally serving the public, not only with a good weekly, but also with the Sentinel, a combo coffee shop, cozy bar, cafe, event space, and hangout for locals to dedicated to produce the news that democracy requires. Note to Wall Street vultures, these newspaper ventures aren't interested in scaling up to maximize investor profits. 
As they know, it was corporate cost-cutting, consolidation, and scaling that got us into today's mess of journalistic collapse. And, unlike the Wall Street model, their success is not measured simply by financial return, but also by how they do at keeping citizens informed and engaged. This is Jim Hightower saying, now that's real journalism. Good afternoon. You're listening to 